The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, League Cup goes full East End gangster with shootouts and someone getting done in with hammers. We round up the last 16 results. Weekend Premier League. Halloween weekend. The Spurs receive visitors dressed as Red Devils and journos reach hungrily for binary metaphor of delight and despair. Meanwhile, Little Norwich not a dangerous thing department. We check in on winter in the Canaries. Too good to stay down, too bad to stay up. All that and more stuff about football in this totally football show in association with Paddy Power. Hi, listen, thanks for joining us. We've got revved up and ready to roll. Duncan Alexander of Opta. Hello, James. All right. Also with us, Charlie Eckershaw out of The Athletic. Hi, James. How are you doing? All right. Yeah, very well. Thank you. And uh, Robin Cowan of Match of the Day and BBC Oxford. All right, Robin. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for you know being ha- halved. Uh, <laughs> nice to get some balance as well after you know all the relentless weeks of Duncan's pro Wickham chat. <laughs> wow. Well, is this a re- this is we've got to discuss this, Duncan? Haven't we? Is this a proper rivalry? What is it from your end? Um, well. We always get Oxford fans saying, "No, we only we only don't like Swindon." So, but then you, <laughs> you didn't seem very happy when we beat you in the playoff final. So, I don't know. Well, that's, like, that's understandable, isn't it? That's that's fairly understandable. Um, yeah, and I, I think since then it, the rivalry's gone a little bit further up. But right. um, yeah, uh, okay. It's not quite River Bocker yet, but it's on the way. Mm. <laughs> Crikey, that simmering tension mm. going to be right through today's show. <laughs> A, a show which will begin by saying, well, giving a salute to another giant of the British game who passed away this week, Walter Smith, who died on Tuesday at the age of 73. If trophies are a measure, he won 21 with Rangers, including 10 league titles. He also led the club to the UEFA Cup final in 2008, their first European final for 36 years. But maybe a better measure is the, the huge outpouring of affection that uh, he received this week from everyone who knew him, people of all sides of the game, at Rangers, Everton, Scotland, or even Man United, with whom he had that successful spell. And also, um, you probably saw that Darren Fletcher uh, interview this week where he credits Walter Smith with basically inventing the modern Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, in a very kind of British coach sort of way of just not allowing fouls in training. So Ronaldo right. battered ankles and learned how to play properly. So Yeah. Mm. Warm down to earth, but also real still to him. That's the image I get. Anyway, in happier news this week, you'll also have seen 21-year-old Adelaide United uh, midfielder Josh Cavallo uh, coming out in an emotional video on Instagram. There's something personal I need to share with everyone. I'm a footballer. And I'm gay. Well done, him. Do you, do you think, because this is now being hailed as the first the first openly gay active footballer, although I'm pretty sure that Glenn Eisen's uh, son came mm. out in Sweden a few years back. I think it's top flight, isn't it? Okay, there was top also flight. Andy Brennan in Australia a couple of years ago. Okay, all right. Did you do you think that this will that this marks a kind of that we're going to see a gradual because I'm guessing there are other people who would feel more comfortable being open about how they like to live their lives. But um, do you think this is going to lead to gradually this this kind of wall falling down? I think there are a lot of things with this. I mean, hopefully the the initial reaction, which has been so positive, will be encouraging. But it's hard to you know. Obviously, everyone's experience is different. But also, we won't really know what the reaction has been until the weeks months pass um you know after just the initial reaction and also a lot of that's on social media it'll be interesting to see then uh and, and you really hope it will be positive all round. And, and brennan who i mentioned there i spoke to soon after he came out and he said it was so so positive actually um you know from fans and from teammates and all of that so you just hope that that is the case and then that makes people feel uh more comfortable uh, about doing this uh, absolutely. So he didn't experience any kind of backlash afterwards. No, he said not. He said the, um, the, the occasionally he'd have teammates who would say th- who would make homophobic comments instinctively uh, in a kind of locker room way, which is obviously you know pretty uh, deplorable. But he said it was never 
there was never anything aimed at him. And often people would say things and then realize and stop themselves and be like, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry, you know, kind of realize what they'd done. But no, he said um, from fans and from teammates, it was all just, yeah, really positive. And, uh, and, and, and then, yeah, he felt obviously extremely liberated by doing it. And the, the, the challenge, you know, it is just very different for everyone. And, and I remember speaking to a tennis player who'd come out and he actually came out uh, after he retired. And he said... It is challenging because not everyone has a kind of advocate personality and invariably what happens is if you are one of the very few uh, people to be openly gay, everyone wants you to speak for the community and, you know, champion uh, equality and that other people should do this. And you might not have that kind of campaigning advocate personality that's almost expected and demanded of you. So I think there there are kind of myriad challenges here for anyone, um, Mm. you know, but but it's amazing it's it's such a brave thing to do and and yes yeah, certainly the initial reaction has been heartwarming all right well hopefully a, a step towards uh, the day soon when this is in no way a story very good uh, also coming out this week eight whole teams in the carabao cup leeds preston burnley stoke brighton saints qpr and man city let's hear about that next you're listening to the totally football show sponsored by paddy power and part of the athletic podcast network Huge Carabao Cup shocker this week. City, Man City, winners of the last four League Cups, unbeaten in the competition for the last five years, knocked out by West Ham. 5-3 in a shootout at the London Stadium. Phil Foden, the only player to miss from the spot, putting his spot kick wide. Crikey. All right, we didn't see this because TV Supremos thought Preston North End against Liverpool was better. But we know someone who did, and that is stop, hammer times, Benji Lanyardo. Benji, how was the game? It wasn't great. Uh, it was fine. It was, um, it was basically both of, our, both of our B teams. And the extraordinary thing about West Ham at the moment is that our B team's pretty good. We were sort of hanging on at the end, I think, from about 75 minutes onwards. West Ham had clearly decided that penalties would be lovely, thank you very much. Um, and then the penalty shootout was flawless. And, and Mark Noble had his sort of slight uh, Stuart Pearce 1996 vibes, um, you know, demons mm. put to bed, thumping his fists at the crowd. Uh, Craig Dawson did his sort of best Harry Maguire impersonation and just smashed it in. And I think poor old Phil Foden, who it was who missed for them, we scored all five of theirs and, and, and through we go. Yeah, great fun. Brilliant. All right. I mean, you'll have noticed that that's now seven winning results, although technically this was a draw, etc., in your last eight and clean sheets in your last four. Yeah, it's everything seems to be working at the moment. And actually, that's that's probably quite a good place to start is that Dawson and Diop are our kind of cup defenders, whilst Obwana and Zuma are our league defenders. And they're both they're both doing magnificently. I think, the, you know, one of the subjects doing the rounds in, you know, online West Hamland is is asking the question, is this, you know, the best West Ham team of the Premier League era? Um, and, I, and, I, and I think, you know, well, it's best, best West Ham squad, certainly. I, th- I think it, it probably is. Um, you know, other candidates are the, the 1999 Decanio team um, and then the, 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 the 2016-17 Pie team. But the thing that is really extraordinary about this team is there's, there's no stars, actually. There's not a Decanio. There's not a Pie. I mean, maybe Declan Rice falls in, in, into that um, into that bracket, but um, the whole squad are pretty backable at the moment. And even um, young Ben Johnson, who's been deputising for, for Soufal over the last little while, is is showing that he's actually a, a damn good defender. And we're just showing that we've got an actual squad at the moment and, and depth in, in most positions. Cool. You're daring to dream, aren't you? What does your uncle Jeff Coefficient say these days, or has it been completely skewed by the fact that it's been a while that you've been putting together really, really good results? Yeah, the Uncle Jeff coefficient is currently a big fat zero. Uh, we're oh. doing exactly as well uh, in the equivalent fixtures as, as we did last year. And last year was a fantastic season. So if we, if we do the same again, then I think everyone will be pretty happy. Brilliant. All right. Well, speaking of fixtures, there are some tough ones coming up for the Irons. You've got Liverpool, Chelsea and Man City again in your next six games. Crikey. How confident are you feeling? Really confident. I mean, I mean, I think we've we've shown that we can give anyone a game at the moment. That the, again, pe- people keep asking, like, what, what is it about this West Ham side that that is, you know, what's what's the secret, what's the trick? And I think that ultimately, every single 
player has got something to prove and probably Moyes above above all else is, is, is trying to prove something he's trying to prove that he really you know does deserve to be talked about as one of the the best managers in, in, in the Premier League era you've got Antonio who's, who's who wants to be a centre forward and he's proving that he is you've got Ben Rama and Bowen trying to prove that they can step up from from the championship and be proper Premier League players and, they, and they're doing that I just, I just think across the board you've got hungry players that, that are, are giving absolutely everything in every single game and, you know, we, one of our favourite things to do as a club is to get absolutely hammered by Manchester City's B team in the Cup. I think three or four times they've, they've, they've put five or six behind. I think Negredo once scored four goals against us in, in the Carlin Cup a while back. And what we saw last night was completely different. It was, it was a, a real team that are fighting for each other and so far are, are not looking like they're going to burn out. There is this real kind of like A and B team vibe between the Cups and the League. So, yeah, there, there'll be plenty of well-rested players on Sunday. Benji, I've seen some stuff on social media where West Ham and City fans are kind of congratulating each other today and, and talking about some sort of like alliance like you get in Serie A, like your your friends as clubs. Is this true? That's, that's the first I've heard of it. I've been misled by Twitter. What a, what a sensation. <laughs> well, one one thing that was quite um, that I've seen floating around social media this morning is that there's been a list. Uh, released of the most handsome players in the Premier League, according to math. And actually, this this this, this is according sort of to relevant. math. I think they're sort of like applying golden parameters? triangles. Yeah, I think they're looking at you know the, the symmetry and the and the golden ratios within Premier League footballers' faces. And a West oh, Ham right. player is number one. I'll, I'll tell you who it is in a second. But last night it was kids for a quid at West Ham, right? So he's lots right. of teenagers. Um, right. So it's a full it's a full house. This is more sort of like you know. Weird up is down. West Ham are a well-run football club. News. They, they've been doing this for a little while, whereby they they fill up cup games by letting in people under eighteen uh, in for a pound, and they were swooning at Jack Grealish uh, doing his warm-ups, which was which, which was great fun. But it's not Jack Grealish. He is not number one. But the number one player was on the pitch. It was a West Ham player. So West Ham. It's a West Ham player. According to maths, so you have to just think 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 mathematically. West Ham. So the mo- hold on, hold on. Who looks like a parallelogram? <laughs> I'd imagine it's like who's got the most symmetrical face yeah it's going to be or oh, it might be Ariola actually he's got a really symmetrical face Ooh. or is it it's not Fornals he's all over the shop <laughs> uh, Picasso <laughs> funny enough yeah, I was very thinking much. of Fornals were you thinking of Fornals maybe it's yeah, Fornals yeah that was going to be, oh, oh, maybe. Ben Rama no he's a good looking boy though isn't he but we're not talking about looks we're talking about misery? symmetry is it, is it, are we? Is it Lanzini is it Cresswell? It's Issa Diop, which sort of makes sense. He's like he's got a lovely face and he's and he's got a big smile. And we've got but the list the list I mean, I personally have always sort of assumed that Edison Cavani is the most handsome man in football. Um but mm. actually thinking about it, maybe I think Dominic Calvert Lewin is probably should be up there. But none of none of them That's... no, Ronaldo isn't there. But yeah, Issa Diop, number one. So take that. Wow. Everything's coming up Millhouse for West Ham at the moment. I was quite surprised. Grealish, like he clearly is this real heartthrob now, right? And I mean, is he? I don't. He's not. Well, like, he's got yeah, Mrs. Hair, Grealish, sixty-nine. <laughs> is it because uh, so if it, if it's to his symmetry and you have a beard yeah. like Jack Grealish, it has to be absolutely Ooh. perfect? And if there's like a mm. you know a hair out of place, then that sort of yeah. Well, I, I would say Allison. Allison is good. Oh, looking, he's but his beard is nice. is quite. You know, I wouldn't say it's symmetrical. It's tough. <laughs> no, but it's incredibly well-groomed, that beard. Mm. Mm. Well, Brazilian goalkeepers, mm. Edison has absolutely shot himself in the foot by having a smiley face tattoo on one side of his face, which is impossible to replicate on the other. Um, right. But yeah, there you go. Well, it's not impossible, but ill-advised, I, I would say. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't. Maybe what you could do is have a kabuki style smiling on one side and then unhappy on the other. All right, then. Benji, I feel you probably need to move on at this point. So many thanks for bringing thanks. to us all the magic and drama of uh, Wednesday night at the London Stadium. And good luck at Villa this weekend. All right, nice one. Thanks, Jimbo. Just one quick uh, line on Villa. Um, been a up and down season for them, but their fans might like to know that Tyrone Mings and Lionel Messi have got the same league record this season. Four shots on target and no goals. So, um, <laughs> not sure that happens very often. So, it's something to latch onto. Absolutely. Well, we'll see what this weekend's fixture against West Ham does to those numbers. 
a little quirk there I was thinking as well in that semi-final that Benji referenced the Negredo one the other semi-final that year was David Moyes' Man United losing to Sunderland and that being held up as you know the buffoonery of Moyes and just thinking on that how with Solskjaer it seems like there is no one who thinks he should still be the United manager and that's kind of held up as evidence that he must go but how many people would have thought bringing Moyes back was a good appointment. And I'm not saying that means Solskjaer should stay, but it is just quite interesting that, I mean, the perceived wisdom of Moyes was that he was such a busted flush. I mean, it's great. When they made that appointment, everyone just thought, what are you doing? How are you bringing this guy back? The most unimaginative appointment imaginable. And and look at them now. It's almost like all our certainties in football are, but castles made of sand with the tide coming in. Well, you mentioned Sunderland. Charlie, they are through to the quarterfinals of this year's competition. They beat QPR on Tuesday in another of those shootouts. There were lots of them, four games going to penalties. West Ham, of course, over Man City. The Sunderland game at Loftus Road. Also Leicester beating Brighton and Chelsea. Second round in a row that they needed penalties to uh, go through. Uh, This time after a 1-1 at Stamford Bridge with Southampton, uh, they made it through with, once again, Rhys James scoring the winning penalty. Crikey. Meantime, Arsenal beat Leeds. Liverpool beat Preston. Both of those were 2-0. Spurs bested Burnley by a single goal. That was from Lucas Moura. Their first goal in absolutely ages. So we'll hear more from Charlie about that soon enough. And Brentford beat Stoke uh, 2-1. Ivan Tony with the winner. Wide open now, though, isn't it? Wide open, because Man City are out. It's going to be odd seeing the Carabao Cup lifted by a team other than the Man City. What's Phil Foden going to do about his dog? Because that's called Carabao. Um, is he going to rename it? I was trying to think <laughs> of an alternative, like Rexit. Sounds a bit like a dog's name, but um, he should have to hand it over. He should have to hand it over to whoever wins the cat, whoever yeah. lifts the Carabao Cup, and then it just gets passed around. Yeah, like Steve Morrow get gets handed up <laughs> on someone's shoulders uh, at the end of the game. Yeah, that'd be good. Duncan, I was hoping for for some uh, the last time City lost a Carabao Cup game style content from you. Do you know what? It's actually you they two lost the... were top of the pops. <laughs> yeah, Mozart was no. Um, <laughs> they actually lost one of the semi final second legs a couple of years ago, so ah. it kind of it's one of those that ruins that stat technically. Lost a but, tie, people can yeah, say, okay. can't they? Liverpool among the favourites at this time. Uh, did anyone see their game at Preston North End? I watched Nods. the second half, yes. Did you? Was, oh, so you caught yes. Divock Origi's outrageous back heel flick. Yeah, it was... Um, I was trying to think what it reminded me of, and I think bullet time from the Matrix was the closest I could, could get to. It kind of... The ball looped up, and he managed to do a sort of slow-motion chipped scorpion kick. It, it was genuinely a new type of new type of finish um, well, I um, we we were talking about a pretty special Scorpion kick on Tuesday in Tuesday's Euro show scored by FC Grunigan down at the bottom end of the Eredivisie mm. but this was for me more impressive just because it was so unbelievably instantaneously improvised I'd say it was more of a horse kick than a Scorpion <laughs> yeah. kick yeah, it, it did have a certain nonchalance. I was thinking as well with Origi, again, with kind of like meaningless coincidences, but his that goal he scored against Everton, possibly his most famous goal, was off a kind of miscued... I don't even know what that was from Van Dijk that hit the bar and then he poked it in, and this came from a, a miscued cross that hit the bar, and then there he was again, Johnny on the spot. Bingo. Anything else? Grab your attention, Charlie. We'll be hearing from you about Spurs and Arsenal soon enough. Although, uh, a shout-out to Callum Chambers, who scored with his first touch after coming on as a sub uh, in their victory, and then ran over to embrace uh, Arsenal's set-piece coach, who told him that he would score with his first touch of the ball. I find that kind of story so intriguing. Do you think set-piece <laughs> coaches and their ilk just say that randomly to everyone <laughs> who's coming on? Yeah, you don't hear that when it doesn't work. Do They're you? like fortune-tellers. But he might be really, really sensitive, this guy. In which case, what a valuable asset to have. Nicholas Jover. It, it would be quite funny in a post-match interview where that hasn't happened to be like, yeah, good performance. Camp. Yeah, yeah, the set-piece coach said I'd scored my first touch. Obviously, it didn't happen, Nothing. but I'm just let, <laughs> letting you know that he did say information. <laughs> Yeah. I thought Nketiah's goal was pretty incredible. Um, I mean, the setup, yes. the setup was amazing, wasn't it? But then, um, yeah, 
nearly, the nearly popped it off. <laughs> we should probably um, call out Kepper as well, who once again is turning himself into a kind of specialist penalty shootout goalkeeper, um, which I think is quite amusing because if you ask someone who didn't know anything about football what they think the the most expensive goalkeeper in the history of football should be good at, they'd probably go penalty shootouts. But right. us experts know it's a lottery. But um, he's uh, <laughs> obviously he's going to get some game time when Mendy's at the African Cup of Nations. So uh, yeah, it's um, I think he he's good as a sort of incredibly luxury second choice keeper. I quite like him. Though. It's very Chelsea, that isn't it? You spend that you break the record, spend a huge amount of money, and then he becomes a sort of deluxe reserve, a bit like. Timo Werner but also I mean because uh, Kepa was the guy who was uh, Sarri wanted to take off didn't he for the League Cup final and he Certainly refused for, for the shootout and he refused to mm. go off yeah that one didn't work out as well for him though no mm. uh, Charlie we'll hear from you about Spurs and a bit more Arsenal uh, shortly as we move on to the Premier League so Mr Klopp what's been troubling you well it's a very important time of the year and I'm worried we're not going to be able to get the most out of it yeah there's a lot of big games coming up Games? No, I'm talking about Oktoberfest. Sauerkraut, Steins, Lederhosen. The one time Germany comes to England, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it can seem like they don't know what they're doing. But with Paddy Power, you always know you're getting Das Beste rewards. Like money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pretty much bet builder bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Min 4 plus legs. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds on an exclusive T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. It's round 10 of the Premier League season coming up this weekend, which is also Halloween weekend. Might want to factor that into any of your punditry. <laughs> Saturday, Leicester take on Arsenal in the early kickoff. Then at 3 o'clock, Burnley Brentford, Liverpool Brighton. Man City Palace, Newcastle, Chelsea and Watford Saints. And then your tea time treat is Spurs Man United. Sunday then, Norwich Leeds. We'll hear about the Canaries a little bit later on. And Aston Villa, West Ham. But back up, let's talk about Spurs Man United. First of all, a lot of talk on Monday night that Oli was going to be on his way with the, that Antonio Conte coming in. But he's still there, still at the wheel for this game here. And, uh, yeah, that's the situation, Charlie Hay. Yes, the uh, the battle of the two under-fire managers in, in kind of uh, differing extents. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone, or most people think that Solskjaer is quite lucky to still be in the job. But then, you know, a couple of, only a couple of weeks before we were hearing that he would definitely get the season and United were in it for the long haul. So, you know, we, we criticise clubs for being knee-jerk if they genuinely believe... That Oli is the right man for the job, then they feel, I guess, they shouldn't be derailed by a couple of, albeit, disastrous results. Um, but mm. yeah, it, it does feel like one where both teams desperately, desperately can't afford to lose this game. Right. Although, it again, it wasn't that long ago. We were talking about how amazing it was that Spurs were up in fifth place just outside the top four positions. And aren't they more or less where you would have expected, given their summer of turmoil? Yeah, and, and I think that's actually what's interesting about it. If you look at it in the round, they're sixth. They would have gone fourth with a point at West Ham, which you know they could easily have got. It wasn't like it was um, anything other than a close game. So they are probably about par. I think there are quite a few factors with that. One is that the football has been pretty uninspiring. Um, fans have all have not really warmed to Nuno that much. The feeling that he was well, and the knowledge that he was far from the first choice. Um, the kind of sense that he's a bit of a Mourinho disciple and yeah the fact that the football just hasn't been especially entertaining and, and every game has every game they've won has been by a single goal so it's kind of all their games have been quite close it hasn't felt like they've swept anyone away and really a kind of part of this big grand plan it more feels week to week but yeah it, it may be that some of the criticism has been unfair um on him because results wise it's been fine and given how early he is in his time there he he should be given um time to put his imprint across I think the fear is that people don't really know what that imprint will be um, mm. there's there's no you know po people point to Pochettino starting quite slowly when he was Spurs manager but at least people could see okay this guy's trying to implement a lot of new ideas that's quite hard for the players to take on board you don't really get that sense as of yet with Nuno which I think if there was then fans would have a bit more would give him a bit more leeway alright what, what they suspect maybe his football's going to be is quite 
uh, light on goals. Uh, Lucas Moura scoring this Wednesday. That was their first goal in over 280 minutes of football uh, at Burnley. Yeah, creating chances has been an issue. And for a long, long time now, anyone but Kane uh, and Son scoring has been a big issue. I mean, own goal, along with Gareth Bale, outside of Bale, Son and Kane, has been one of their top scorers since the start of last season. So it kind of tells its own story. Yeah. Uh, Harry Kane had one shot, if we can call it that, which I think was ended closer to the corner flag than the goal. A little, uh, this is an unpopular opinion, but Hmm. I actually don't feel like Kane is a million miles away from going on one of his runs. He scored against Newcastle, then against West Ham, put in a really good header that was well saved, put in a beautiful pass for Son that if Son had finished, it would have been an assist. And then yesterday, Kane played in Lo with one of just such a smart pass that Lo really should have scored. And I think then we could be talking about Kane's back, you know, the goals are back, the assists are back. I don't think he's that far. At least he's now getting in the positions to score and provide goals, whereas for the few weeks before, I mean, those kind of viral heat maps that were showing him, you know, kind of out on the left touchline, uh, he wasn't even doing that. So I, I do, th- I, I wouldn't be a, that surprised if he goes on, goes on a streak fairly soon. Well, that's nice for Harry. Uh, meantime, though, Charlie, something that you wrote about on The Athletic this week, what's happened to Delhi? who, along with Harry Winks, was left out of the squad completely uh, for the trip to Turf Moor. Yeah, lots of differing theories about that. Um, but it has been a pretty steep decline. Some people think it's a physical thing. Some people think it's a situation changing when he got a big new contract in 2018. And, you know, all of a sudden... that both, Two things. Both that ended his chance of getting a big money move away to a club like Real Madrid, which that might seem fanciful now, but that was really being talked about at the time. Then also, you know, he went from being this kind of breakout star to suddenly very established. And around that time, he picked up injuries as well. Obviously, Pochettino left. He's also not the only one. You know, you look at a lot of those players and there's been a steep, steep decline from that time. And, you know, lots of it, I think, is the Pochettino factor. This was an issue under Mourinho. But then Nuno coming in was supposed to be a fresh start. And, and it, it did begin very well for him. He started all the first six Premier League games un, under Nuno. But basically, since being subbed off at halftime against Arsenal, nothing. And, and, and Nuno tried to play him in this kind of withdrawn central midfield role. And it worked OK for the first few games. The first three games, really, Daddy was kind of solid and put a shift in and did a lot of fouling, quite frankly. Like, he was in this kind of um, running foul role, which was a bit unedifying <laughs> given he'd emerged as this, you know, world-class goal-scoring midfielder. And that is kind of the problem. I mean, talking to people who, who you know, closer to the situation, there, there's been a sense that... And, and you want to be careful of rewriting history because he was an unbelievable talent, is an unbelievable talent. But those goals... He wasn't someone who was putting, who was consistently performing amazingly uh, his all-round game anyway. But he would always pop up invariably with a spectacular goal or moment every few games. So you couldn't take your eyes off him. And you allowed the fact that he would give the ball away. He tried stuff. Because when you've got someone who's scoring goals like that, it's like, well, you know, he's a bit of a maverick. He can do that. It's easy to forget how good he was. A young player mm. of the year in his first two seasons in the Premier League. Finished his third Incredible. season by scoring in a World Cup quarterfinal. Like, this was not... You know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, typical hype up an English youngster. He was doing it against Real Madrid in the Champions League. You know, it's not, this wasn't some parochial bigging up of an English player. There were those stats, weren't there, at the time where his goal contributions was, you know, as many as goals, Beckham and Lampard combined at at that age and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he he was smashing all the records. But I guess, you know, football's not a kind of linear thing a lot of the times. You know, some players will enjoy a great career from 18 to, to 35, mm-hmm. but lots, you know, you look at someone like Mikel Antonio who's having a great end to his career. Some players just have a great start and then and then it fades away. Would a January loan to West Ham, the kind of Premier League <laughs> equivalent of a call-up from Quentin Tarantino, would that, would that, you know, see him catch fire again? Well, West Ham was the one that we were talking about this time last year, but now... Newcastle are kind of you know the front runners, mm. but, in, but but I mean in a kind of paint by numbers sort of way, I imagine Newcastle will be being linked with a whole host of players. I just feel like didn't the decline start before Mourinho though? Um, because wasn't the narrative, especially on All or Nothing, was that Mourinho had actually revitalised him, wasn't it? And mm. he's getting the best out of him by basically insulting him, telling him he's lazy, and then <laughs> and he kind of had a little uptick, didn't he? 
Don't get me started on that all or nothing. But yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> it did start soon. I mean, he signed the new contract in October 2018, then picked up a couple of injuries. And actually, the second half of that season, under which was Pochettino's final full season, was pretty interrupted by injuries. Then, yeah, exactly that. The, the narrative was that because he did he started really well scored four goals in Mourinho's first four games and it was all like Mourinho's done it again like he's found a way uh, and then that didn't really last mm. in broader terms Spurs against Man United almost a year ago oh, a little bit over a year ago actually was the 6-1 at Old Trafford for Spurs but then more recently when United pitched up at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, they won 3-1. Uh, which way do we all think this one's going to go? Nil-nil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, yeah, it does feel different, though, from this time last year when they lost 6-1 to Spurs because, obviously, they recovered from that pretty well, managed just to mm. finish second. But that Liverpool result last weekend just felt much more toxic in terms of, obviously, the fans were there. Um, mm. And I'm not sure. It seems like the players are sort of turning a little bit more. And also just the fact that I just wonder if, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson is still hanging around. Is that is this a good thing? <laughs> I'm not sure if he's still there. Turning I mean, up at the training ground this week. Mm. Yeah, and kind of almost it, it's got the vibes of like your mum telling your big brother to let him play with you, you know. Um, <laughs> just I'm not sure if it's, it's, it's very good. Um, but I suppose... You know, whoever comes in, Sir Alex will still be in the stands with a camera on him. Hopefully so, Robin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this fixture's obviously historically got the potential to be amazing. It's, you know, that 3-0 up to 5-3 down Spurs game back in the day. But that was a very different Manchester United team. I mean, of all the 20 Premier League teams, if you look at all competitions, United have kept one clean sheet in their last 20, which is the worst of any side. So their defence is just not very good um, they're, they're too open but then Spurs have got a lower open play XG this season than, than Newcastle and, and Watford so it's kind of a, a misfiring attack against a very bad defence so as, as Robin said probably nil nil yeah <laughs> alright a, a, a draw feels safe given that it's not a disaster for either team should use that Duncan's reference there to that 5-3 to plug a piece of that's going up tomorrow on the kind of history of the Spurs Tottenham rivalry I mean that that uh, is the starter point that's 20 years ago uh, 20 years ago and a month that 5-3 and then there's also been the fight that zany 5-2 the Pedro Mendes Roy Carroll uh, lots and lots of fun wasn't there out. William Prunier as well pops up that was slightly before that was the, yeah that was the 4-1 uh, yeah. January 96 one yeah wow stand by for more madcap treats like that uh, this time around at the Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> Stadium. Spurs actually the only Premier League side yet to draw a game this season. Very much all or nothing. If, in fact, if they do yeah. lose, uh, if they do lose against yes. United, yeah. um, Nuno will become only the second Spurs manager to lose five of his first uh, ten Premier League games after Christian Gross, which is not the comparison you want as a Tottenham manager. Will he be taking the tube home as a punishment? Right. Going down the tube, certainly, according to many Spurs fans, etc. And so on. Meantime, the big three, Chelsea, Liverpool and City, they all play at the same time behind the three o'clock blackout this weekend. Newcastle will be hosting Chelsea. Liverpool get a visit from Brighton while Man City host Palace. Three points all round for them, do you think? Or are there surprises in store? And if so, where? For example, did you know that Chelsea have lost five of their last eight visits to St James's Park? Or that Brighton took four points off Liverpool last season and were victorious at Anfield in February. Got nothing about City. They, they basically do really well against Palace. <laughs> well, not always. Well, there they was lost... that, that Andros Townsend one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There is a there yeah, is right. a stat, actually, of City's last 50 Premier League games at three o'clock on a Saturday. They've won 43 of them and drawn six. The only defeat was that was that Andros Townsend game. Um, Palace are a little bit of a bogey team for City talking of all or nothing the the previous all or nothing the City one do you remember they had to hype up the drama by mm. claiming that City dropping points at Palace at New Year was you know a title uh, in danger <laughs> the shredded to 14 points <laughs> yeah but um you know obviously Vieira ex City player at the end of his career there is a there are a few mm. little little storylines there and and Palace they haven't won many games 
Um, they just draw yep. the, the the reverse Spurs. Just they just one, draw every match. Yeah, mm. but um, you know, I think they've got the potential to give City a little bit of a few problems anyway. So City have yet to concede a single goal at home this season in the Premier League. They haven't conceded any goals in the first half of matches either. Robin, you have been watching a lot of Newcastle. Yes, so I watched. Um, that, it's weird. So I watched. Their, I did their game for match today at Watford, where they were seriously unlucky, only to draw mm. that one. Um, remember the Jacob Murphy going mm. through, and the wonderful local radio commentary from um, John Anderson. It's Jacob Murphy released. Murphy one on one. Jacob Murphy to win it. Oh, oh just put it in his net. Absolutely wonderful. I really, I really should have used that line. Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, did did the game against Palace last week and they looked slightly more solid, but still no clean sheets this season, Newcastle. And it took Callum Wilson to put in an overhead kick for them to sort of get a point against a really wasteful Crystal Palace side. Uh, Graham Jones is in now. Um, I think probably the owners are hoping that he can sort of steady the ship a little bit until they find the manager they actually want because at the moment they need a manager that's going to get them out of relegation trouble and um, the names that usually crop up probably not the ones that they would like to appoint at the moment mm. anyway Robin by the way which which commentators do you do you kind of look to for inspiration which do you think have, have kind of formed your your flow um when I was small uh, yeah. and watching, it was... I'm still small, but um, when, I'm, when I was younger, um, it was Jonathan Pierce. I think mainly, um, I think uh, his enthusiasm and his... You can always tell it was him. Um, and also, on, I think I was... i collect my eyebrows off the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> and also, the Robot Wars was my I'm era as well. Yeah. yeah. He was... Uh, okay. Famously listed in the credits for Sopranos, isn't he, Jonathan Pierce? Because he's... There's a... There's, there's a robot episode, wars in the... there's a ro- episode where robot wars is on in the background so um huh. amazing all right so Jonathan Pierce yes he was the main one i think uh yeah i remember just remember there was a video of him i think falling off his chair when he was commentating on Alan Shearer for England and that he was my favorite player and we just used to um we just used to yeah do the fall off the chair but how do you remember but i mean yeah i mean from a personal point of view it's quite incredible that I can chat to him and he gives me advice and he's, he's always been really, really kind to me. He's, he's, he's lovely. I know he divides opinion. No. Um, like every commentator, no, I think he's actually. A, he's a lovely chat and he is so steeped. I mean, you, you mm. cut him, he would bleed football, literally. <laughs> and um, he's extraordinary how he's... And his love of the game infuses everything. Just stylistically, I wasn't expecting that to have been your inspiration, although I think it's you know, perfectly credible. Shout out to you, Jonathan. Uh, good, right. Uh, we haven't mentioned Brighton. Quickly then, this is Liverpool's first home game in a month, but they've got loads of home games coming up, which is nice for them in their title race. Brighton's chances of repeating last season's upset success? Mm, possible, but not... Mm. Yeah, I think Brighton have kind no. of reversed themselves from last season, haven't they? They've, they've got a really low XG now, but they've been pulling out results. So they've kind of de-Brightonised to a different outlook. So, and obviously their win at Anfield last season came in that run of games where Liverpool's home form inexplicably went mad. So, I mean, on this form, you would expect Liverpool to win. I like the idea that that, that Brighton XG was a philosophy and that they really wanted to be not scoring their chances. They wanted that title yeah. of... We want we want to be the ones who understand. Look, you've got to have a brand. Yeah, and yeah. It, right. it did put they're them on the map. They're losing fans around the world. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's always the way, isn't it, when an artist switches direction? But I reckon they'll they've gone mainstream. They found an interesting <laughs> new scoring. Voice. It's mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> we'll um, we'll talk more Premier League after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. 
And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced matchups. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. Now, Arsenal, you, Charlie, you followed their game midweek in the Carabao Cup. Leicester is their opponent at the King Power this Saturday lunchtime. Interesting test of Arsenal's newfound form, like deer on a frozen lake. We're not sure whether to trust the going, you know, with Arsenal. I think that works. Anyway, a Leicester mighty crack snaking its way across the surface. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Arsenal in all comps have won six and drawn two of the last eight and in the league have won four and drawn two. So they are in quite good form. But this, you would say, is... is pro- I mean, they had the North London derby in that time. Leicester away. Obviously, Leicester finished higher than Tottenham last season. You'd put this as the hardest fixture in that bracket. So it is... Um, yeah, it's a big, it is a big test. Two very evenly matched teams. Arsenal actually won this fixture last season, uh, but Leicester, prior to that, had really had their number. So, yeah, I mean, Arsenal are weird because a bit like, you know, you were saying with Tottenham that there's been a degree of flip-flopping because the first few games it looked good with Arsenal obviously had the opposite where they were, you know, being completely written off having lost their first three games. Then they've had a better run, but in amongst that, they did draw at home with Crystal Palace thanks to a last-minute goal, at which point it was back to this Arsenal team's going nowhere, Arteta's useless. So, yeah, I I think this will be very revealing. Obviously, their last game against Aston Villa, Arsenal were very, very good. And, you know, they've been pretty much every Premier League team under Arteta in not that long a period. I mean, I think it's just Everton and Brentford who Arteta hasn't beaten. Um, City was actually in the FA Cup rather than the league. But so they are, you know, that does kind of justify that cliche of they can beat anyone on their day. I mean, they literally, that is true. Um, Mm. Is is Saturday going to be their day? Well, it is just that consistency. And, and, you know, the Arsenal are one of those teams where nothing would be a a huge surprise. Like if they did go and, you know, Saka and Smith-Rowe were good and they won, you'd be like, well, yeah, of course, they've got these two elite young talents. Likewise, if they went and got played off the park, you'd be like, well, yeah, that's what Arsenal do. Brentford did it to them earlier this season. So, right. I have no idea, for, basically. Yeah, no, that's fine. We'll wait. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens and talk about it on on Monday. Although, Duncan... Yeah, it's just, they, it feels like, as Charlie was saying, that they on their day, they're good, but you can kind of tell if it's their day or not 10 minutes in, and there's not really any way that they change it. It's kind of set in stone. And, like, against against Villa, they look really good. And all the, the young players played really well. And I think they seem to perform better at the Emirates at the moment. Um, they've only had nine shots on target away from home in the Premier League this season, which is four fewer than Mo Salah has on his own. So um, <laughs> I think they'll they'll be a bit cagey again at, at Leicester. But, but Leicester themselves are pretty inconsistent. So, yeah, no one can tell. I was going to say Leicester, Leicester still look a bit vulnerable, actually, especially defensively in the Cups and the, and the league. Um, and also for Duncan Alexander apologists, Jamie Vardy was taken off at half-time, wasn't he, against Brentford? Well, yeah, with a knee Very knock. So. Knee knock. So he's in doubt. And hubris knock, I think he... it was. <laughs> Strained his hubris. Hubris knock, was it? Mm. So was that just a polite explanation that was given that he might have a, <laughs> a knee well, he barely touched the ball, which is pretty much what he does all the time now. Mm. But but when he, he does touch it, well, he has got a good record against Arsenal. Mm. Um, he's got eleven Premier League goals against them. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, yeah, hit, that's a big it. swing, isn't it? That him and Ben White, who came off for Arsenal and with illness, and so he's a doubt. If Vardy's a doubt, if one or both of them plays, that could that could tilt things mm. quite substantially. All right, stand by for Saturday lunchtime. We discover. Who plays and does what? Brilliant. Next up, Norwich. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Sleepy Norwich, crossroads of history, everyone. Boudicca's tribe, the Iceni, had their capital quite near here. A Britain's first provincial newspaper, the Norwich Post, appeared here in 1701. In 1976, that pioneering spirit was again on show when Moton Road in Norwich became the third street in Britain to be equipped with sleeping policemen. Football club have had a dramatic time of it too. Winners of two Football League Cups finished third in the inaugural Premier League in 1993. They also once eliminated a famous German side Bayern Munich from the UEFA Cup. Currently there's a fair chance that Norwich are about to make history again as the worst Premier League side ever. Heading for their fourth relegation in the last nine seasons, perhaps never as today has the town's Boudicca-like war cry of been as needed. Uh, We're joined now on the line by Dan Brigham, Norwich fan, former member of the Norwich organisation. Hello, Dan. Hi, James. Nice to meet you. And you too. How, how's the mood there? Uh, well, it's uh, overriding sort of feeling of general sadness, I think. It's not quite turned uh, too violent yet. It's just a sort of that sort of sense of sadness that once mm. again things are starting to unravel. It's sort of resignation settling in. Yeah, a little bit, maybe not quite this at this stage yet, uh, just because of the usual hope that football fans have. Although it was interesting to see this morning our sporting director, Stuart Webber, come out with a rallying cry, which after nine games doesn't really leave you sort of too many places to go after this. So we've, we've gone early with, with that. So there's a sort of already that sort of sense of resignation maybe coming from, from the club but mm. and from some of the fan base as well, which uh, is only natural after... What are we, nine games in with two goals, two points and a minus 21 goal difference? Right. I mean, feel free to say no, absolutely not. But is there, is there almost a perverse desire to see Norwich set the worst <laughs> ever figures? If you're going to go, go big. Well, if we're going to go there, I mean, I know that Nottingham Forest fans might not enjoy hearing this, but if we're going to go down that path, then why not knock Derby County off the, the bottom of the ladder if, we, if we've got that opportunity? Because... What else have we got to play for at this stage? It seems increasingly likely that we'll get sort of fourth from bottom, so why not try and get into single figures when it comes to points? I mean, last season, what, we ended up with 97 points in the in the championship, I think, so it might be quite quite fun to end up with fewer than 100 points across two seasons still. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, But this is a, a, a thing that's been commented on, the fact that when you come up, you do really badly, and then you go down to the, 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 the championship and do brilliantly. So the, the last four seasons, including this one so far, first in the championship, 20th in the Premier League, first in the championship, and now 20th in the Premier League again. What is it that means that you can't make that push on when, I mean, other clubs come up and they do? Sure, and what we talk a lot about sort of sustainability model of, of the club. We very much spend within our means. We don't have a... Um, we don't have a lot of money behind us. Our owners aren't as rich as anyone else in the in in the Premier League and in across a lot of Championship clubs as well. So we rely on bringing through young players and and selling them on, as we've done with Ben Godfrey and um, Emery Buendia. But this season it, it is a little different. We spent over fifty million pounds in the in the summer, which is more than Brentford has spent and more than Watford has spent. Who you know, despite Watford sacking their manager, have got off to a better start than we have. And Brentford are obviously impressing. Uh, lots of people in the Premier League. So it is a slightly different story this season. But 
The issue with uh, the recruitment, even though we spend a lot of money, I'm watching these players um, and thinking, well, they're not maybe not quite good enough for the Premier League, but they're going to be excellent in the Championship next season to get us back up, and and then for therefore the cycle just continues. Sisyphusian, I would call that. Is there is there a, a, a gathering kind of finger of responsibility pointed at at the manager Daniel Farker? There is. Uh, Norwich, I suppose, is maybe kind of. A little different to other clubs because our sporting director is so public facing, Stuart Webber. So there is criticism his way as well because the recruitment really didn't work in our previous Premier League season. And the recruitment so far, and you know, let's remind ourselves it is still early days, isn't quite working yet. So it, it splits, which I guess helps both of those guys, but doesn't really help the club as a whole. But what I would say is that although some people are calling for, quite a lot of people are now calling for Farker to go, there's not a lot of sort of vitriol behind it sort of compared to the last time that happened under Chris Hewton when everyone was just sort of fed up with the kind of football that um, had us wishing we'd never got into football as kids and maybe took up crochet or or golf instead this time Daniel Farke has given us you know three really great well two really great seasons where we've played really entertaining football so people sort of calling for his head are doing it with a sort of twinge of sadness rather than the twinge of sort of glee behind it so yeah there is pressure on him um We've got a run of sort of winnable, winnable games, or as, in as far as we can win games. We've got sort of five winnable games coming up now. And I think if the first two of those, which are Leeds and Brentford, go badly, then there's going to be an enormous amount of pressure on the board to take action. Any signs of life? Have you, have you detected any green shoots well, ahead of the clash with Leeds? Maybe sort of slightly browning shoots, I suppose, just popping through. With We had two goalless draws against, um, which doesn't sound particularly glamorous, uh, two goalless draws against Burnley and then Brighton, in which we competed and we looked like we belonged to this level and got that momentum. But then when you go and lose 7-0 the following week, that kind of uh, that takes an enormous dump on any sort of momentum. So... Um, but if we take it sort of as a big picture, yeah, we, we were competing in the two previous games against that. We'd look like we'd got a solid back five that competed at the Premier League level. Um, and we were sort of working our way into building a little bit of play that could also perhaps increase our number of goals uh, above two. So, that, yeah, there were shoots. So if you kind of accept Chelsea as being, uh, well, that can happen to any club. And you only have to look at the next mm. day when uh, Man United were hammered by Liverpool. It can happen. And we have been beaten by that before when surviving in the Premier League. So if you look at the bigger picture, yeah, we were competing in the previous couple of games. But you just it's impossible to know what, that, what a 7-0 defeat does to the confidence. And it wasn't just a 7-0 defeat. It was almost as gutless as when we lost 6-0 at Craven Cottage on the last day of the season, needing a point to stay up, which is one of the most sort of gutless displays in Premier League history. So we've really set the bar high on that. Uh, but we're not quite there yet. But uh, <laughs> there's a long season ahead. Mm. Dan, listen, best of luck with the game against Leeds on Sunday or alternatively with the crotcheting afterwards. Yep, I'll, I'll, I'll be Googling crotcheting straight after this. Dan Brigham from Norwich. By the way, uh, this is the first Premier League meeting between these two clubs at Carroll Road in 27 years. Takes you all the way back to October 1994 when Neil Adams scored a 90th minute winner for the Canaries. Do you know what was number one, Charlie? It's annoying that I know the answer because I would have, I would have quite liked trying to guess. You know, what, I, I might, I don't know if I would have guessed this. I might have thought it was a ace of base, something like that. Mm. Happily not. No. What was it though? <laughs> Burn. <laughs> was it Saturday Night by Wigfield? Of course it was. Norwich in last place, as Dan mentioned, they're two points from nine games. Newcastle and Burnley, the other two sides in the bottom three, they're on four points, and you've got a a four-point buffer before you get to Leeds in 17th place. Uh, This weekend, Burnley will be hosting Brentford, while Newcastle get that visit from Chelsea. Burnley-Brentford, by the way, which is Saturday at three o'clock, and that is the nine-year anniversary of Sean Dyche taking charge of the Clarets. In English league football, only Simon Weaver of Harrogate Town and one Gareth Ainsworth of Wickham Wanderers have been in charge of their club for longer. Wow. 
They're just so inextricably linked, aren't they, Burnley and Sean Dyche? I can't imagine him really anywhere else, and I can't really imagine Burnley being managed by anyone else. Yeah, this blows your your mind when you when you remember or read about it for the first time, as I did, uh, that Dyche took over from Eddie Howe, and mm. he himself had been at Watford. Yeah, I find Eddie Howe being his predecessor so so strange, mm. so hard to such um, <laughs> divergent philosophies, right. <laughs> The up-and-coming Eddie Howe. It's it's quite a classic Burnley season, this one. They're in the bottom three on an incredible mm. winless run. But everyone's still pretty confident that come the spring, mm. they'll suddenly start knocking goals. Hey, Maxwell Corney looks a bit of a change, a shift to their paradigm, as it were. Well, he's the only player that scored for them in the Premier League since he made his debut, so he's doing his bit. Um I don't know, we, we've said before, this does feel, Burnley feel like they're in a bit more danger this season than, than previous campaigns, I think. So mm. this game at home to Brentford, although Brentford have, have done very well, um, feels like a really big one for for Burnley and for Deitch. Um, and Burnley aren't going to get rid of Deitch, but this could be the the end times. There'll be no more eating worms on the training pitch anymore. <laughs> I've forgotten about the eating worms. Just remind me what the background of that was. So Soren Anderson claimed that that um, Deitch used to, during training, just pick up earthworms and eat them. Um, but Deitch said it was just a bit of banter that he'd done at, at Burnley and Watford as well. You get a nice big juicy right. worm hanging out your mouth. Look as if you're chewing it. We've all done that. Then spit it out and wash your mouth out with water. It was a bit of banter and, and Soren has probably taken it too far. And then he ended, for the record, I definitely don't eat worms and I never did. So. <laughs> and I never will. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say if you've got one hanging out your mouth, you've, you've morally eaten a worm. But Yeah, I mean... You've all but eaten a worm. In and around. Yeah, yeah. in and around, yeah. <laughs> Remarkable. Uh, ooh, big blow for Brentford ahead of that clash with the uh, goalkeeper David Raya out for four to five months. He did his knee against Leicester last Sunday. Fellow Spaniard Alvaro Fernandez, who they signed on loan from Huesca this summer, is expected to step in between the sticks for what is the first ever top division meeting between these two clubs. Crikey. Also this weekend, just to wrap this part of the show up, uh, Watford are up against Southampton. Watford, eh? Five nil losers, then five two winners. What what have you got for them this time, Robin? Tricky one. Um mm. because I've seen Watford quite a lot and it seems their defence is very bad. <laughs> and under Ranieri at the moment anyway, that doesn't really seem to have changed. I know they won against Everton, but conceded a couple of pretty terrible goals. Like Burnley, this is a very big chance for them, because Southampton just look a bit I don't know, just a bit dirge, aren't they, this season? You don't don't mm. really feel like they're going anywhere particularly. They'll probably be all right, but that's probably about the extent of the excitement for them. So, yeah, big game for Watford and Ranieri. Mm. Watford are the foulest team in the Premier League this season. Did you know that? They also have the most mm. fouled individual, unless unless oh. that changed with the Man United-Liverpool game. Um, Ishmael Assar. Ah. Would you believe it? Just on that kind of this being quite a familiar season, I was in an idle moment uh, a couple of weeks ago I was deleting some stuff off my dictaphone and stumbled across... It turned out it was from December 2018, but it was a, no, nah, we'll be fine. We're playing well, just the results aren't there. And I was like, that that could be from any moment, any season seemingly in the last five years. And he was right. They were fine and the results did turn up. But yeah. You kept that right. You obviously kept that on your... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that was not getting deleted. It's your ringtone now. Um, <laughs> Wolves-Everton is Monday night. Uh, Toffee's coming in off uh, two humbling home defeats in a row. But they did do the double over Wolves last season. So we'll see what happens Monday at Molyneux. Uh, very shortly, we'll get some important news from Barcelona and other things too. First of all, though, let's get some Paddy Power odds from Carl Monaghan with producer Charlie. Thank you, James. It is indeed producer Charlie and Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power here to look at a Premier League weekend like no other. That's because the big three, TM, are all in action at the same time. Saturday, three o'clock. It's Liverpool v Brighton, Man City v Crystal Palace and Newcastle v Chelsea. Carl, in terms of Ackers, that's got to be the most popular three-way since... Uh, since uh, help, help me, Carl, I'm in trouble. 
The Big Tree treble will be more popular than an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer headshot on a dartboard. Nice. But won't make you a fortune as the three-timer is short enough. Make it a four-timer, though, with more meat on the bone by throwing in an Arsenal or maybe a freakishly good Watford or even throwing Spurs to let the air out of Ole's tyres for once and for all. Making it a four-timer, though, Charlie, also means that our ACA insurance will click into gear if one leg lets you down. You get your stake back in the form of a free bet. You'll be good to go again. Liverpool, of course, after their five-star performance at Old Trafford, are two to nine to see off Brighton. City, eight to one on to push aside Crystal Palace and Tuchel's well-oiled machine are one to three to make the Magpies squawk furiously at a four-team of your choice to boost the price. Me, Tony, Henry... It's not my entire stag do, it's some of the players in action at Turf Moor on Saturday as Burnley hosts Brentford. Massive game for the Clarets as they search for that first win in the Premier League, Carl. Yeah, this is not going to be an easy game for Sean Dyche and his Burnley men. The Brentford boys blew Leicester away in the first half last week and were unlucky not to get something from the game. Truth is, Charlie, Brentford have been a rather large pain in the backside for teams to play against this season. And it's no surprise to see them priced up as the favourites for this one. They're 6-4. to four. Burnley themselves are 7-4 to four in the draws 11-5, Charlie. Worryingly, though, for the home side, is that in recent seasons, newly promoted teams are targeting the games with the Clarets to good effect. Burnley have not won any of their last five home games against promoted sides. So I'd be all aboard the Brentford train this weekend, Charlie, as they've looked the real deal so far this season. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. England women don't stop. They maintain their 100% record in World Cup qualifying with Robin on Tuesday, a 10-0 win against Latvia. It wasn't a great watch, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Latvia were playing our tune. Ella Toon. And she uh, scored a hat trick. Yes. <laughs> right. Meantime, that was World Cup qualifying, but England, of course, already qualified for the Euros. And the draw for that is happening this Thursday afternoon in where? Manchester. Is that right, Robin? That's right. Yeah, very exciting. Um, all the balls is it? drawn out the bags. Well, yeah, um, that bit will be. Um, I don't know how long the run-up is going to be to the actual draw, as with these things, usually a bit of pomp and ceremony, usually too much. Mm. But... Um, It'll be really interesting to see who they get. Home Euros, big pressure on Serena Wiegmann and England to perform post-Neville. So, yeah, no, it'll be good to see. And, uh, yeah, first game at Old Trafford will be really, really exciting. Could they double up the draw with the, the Carabao Cup one that's taking place on Soccer AM on Saturday morning? I think Jimmy Bullard doing the women's Euro draw would really add something, yeah. I look forward to both those draws. Speaking of women's football... You will be this week, actually, uh, Robin, weekend, because you're off to see Arsenal Brighton in the FA Cup uh, semi-finals on Sunday. That's early for FA Cup semi-finals. It's actually last season's FA Cup, ah. which uh, was delayed due to COVID. So, mm. uh, yeah, it's confusingly, this is the 2020-2021 uh, semi-finals. So we've got uh, Manchester City against Chelsea first up on BBC. And then I'll be at Arsenal against Brighton later that day. So it should be good. Uh, Arsenal, obviously, heavy favourites. And then the final is early December for this one uh, at Wembley. And then there'll be another final for the FA Cup this season, which is already started with the lower leagues uh, in May. Hopefully so, Robin. Mm, hopefully, hopefully so. Mm. All right. Big midweek around Europe. In the second round of the Pokal, the German Cup, you may have seen a full-strength Bayern Munich were beaten 5-0 and Munch and Gladbach. They were 3-0 down after 21 minutes. The biggest defeat in Pokal history for Bayern. Their biggest defeat in any competition since 1978. First time in 85 matches they failed to score. Raphael Honigstein unavailable for comment. Was Nagelsmann not there? Was he was he working? No, he was, was still that? in his kitchen and I think that's I mean that's got to end now that that kitchen analysis center thing. <laughs> I mean, he was he was COVID isolating, but you know, any notion that he could just knock out this management game while whipping up some noodle or whatever it is. Um, anyway, we'll hear from Rafa on that next Tuesday. We'll get James's thoughts on another defeat for Juventus, perhaps less of a, of a surprise. This a two-one at home to Sassuolo. Angry scenes at the final whistle as Pavel Nedved shouted at Andrea Agnelli. Not sure what, but James will tell us on Tuesday. Uh, in Spain, 
Radamel Falcao scored the only goal of the game as Ravacano beat Barcelona, handing Barca their third defeat in four La Liga matches. And yes, that was that for Ronald Koeman. Barcelona confirming his dismissal as manager late Wednesday night. And they they say that they're lining up Xavi to come in and take over. We, we shall see. Intriguing, though, the top of the La Liga table, league that only ever featured two or possibly three clubs at the top, or maybe four if you include Valencia, but it currently has four teams level on 21 points. Real Madrid, fair enough. And then behind them, but only on goal difference, Sevilla, Real Betis and Real Sociedad. And then in fifth, you've got Rayo Vallecano after that defeat of Barcelona. It's extraordinary. Anyway, we'll find out more about all of that come Tuesday. But it's exciting. Sevilla buoyed by a resurgent Eric Lamella. Mm. European Super Club sacking manager who was good player in 90s. Sensation. Did you see um, Adam Hurry's tweet? Yes, the idea that was very good. <laughs> what did Adam say? He says, it must be sad for Koeman, obviously, but the blow softened by the fact that he will coach the Netherlands again within 18 months in <laughs> accordance with Dutch law. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Uh, excellent. All right, then. Well, that's uh, that's what happened midweek. Anybody got anything else they wanted to say to the listener before we let them go? Duncan? Just as it's Halloween, a reminder that Christian oh, Benteke yeah. is the only player in Premier League history to have scored on Halloween, November the 5th, Boxing Day, New Year's Day and his own birthday. So um, always always think of that when one of those festivities rolls around. When you compiled that stat, because I mm. imagine it was you who compiled that. It was that, me, yes. How long, did, did it take an extra long time because you had to factor in just, not just his birthday date, but the date of every other? No, because I've got a way of, of, of doing that. But Is it yeah. a computer? Is that your way? I do most things on a computer, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the, the old 2020, isn't it? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, on that bombshell, uh, that's where we sign off for today's Totally Football Show. Cheers then to Robin and Charlie and Duncan and producer Charlie and you, listener. Have a great weekend. Mind yourself trick-or-treating. And we'll be back with you Monday. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.